This week on TechCast, funky gadgets, new PS5 controller, Twitter stations, T-Mobile bets on Starlink, and Warner's DC plans. All that and more starting right now. Hello and welcome to TechCast, a weekly podcast diving into tech headlines and potentially big stories that could change the industry as we know it. I'm Ben. And I'm Jake. Jake, it looks like we've got some some pretty fun ones to go over. I feel like we've got a little more fleshed out stories than we have in the past here for us. So let's uh, let's just jump right in. I see you have some funky new gadgets you'd like to talk about. Yeah, I just want to go over a couple of fun uh, things that are have come out, at least been announced in the past week that I think is interesting and unique. Uh, first one being, uh, have you seen Corsair's uh, bendable like OLED monitor? Um, I saw a headline for it. It kind of reminds there. Were, uh, who was it? Dell maybe that had something like that a couple of years ago. Uh, perhaps or, no, Samsung had a TV that, yes, that you could bend. Samsung back. had a TV yes. that had like had a. It was like on a motor that would like curve it and then flatten. Yes, it. yes. Uh, but the the big thing this is an OLED panel, which is great. Uh, and uh, effectively, it's a 45 inch, 21 by nine display, and it's got little handles on the back that when you grab it, you can like bend it and adjust the curve to your liking, which is very cool. Uh, mm-hmm. On the technical side, it's a 240 hertz refresh rate. It's got peak brightness of a thousand nits, so it can do some a pretty good HDR. It does G-Sync and FreeSync, all of the cool like V-Sync stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know anything about pricing. I don't see anything on pricing yet, uh, but it is neat. And I just wanted to call that one out because I think it's silly. Um, it can go all the way I, up to an 800 R curve. Which I is love this idea curved. because I'm thinking of like, so I work from home currently. We're, we're going to be transitioning back here soon, but I work from home currently. And the idea that while they supply our monitors for us, the idea that I can be working all day on a flat monitor and then call it a night and be able to bend it in and dim the lights to play video games afterwards is just an incredible idea to me. I love that yeah. idea that I can have a more immersive experience when I want to dim the lights and play video games versus having it flat when I'm actually needing to be productive for work. Uh, yes, I completely agree. I think that is a very neat concept. I, I personally have a curved gaming monitor and I actually I didn't think I would like the curve as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Um but to be able to because my I've got a Samsung Odyssey curved monitor and it is yeah. just a little more curved than I think I would want it most of the time. Mm-hmm. There are like times where it's great, but to be able to like adjust that curve uh, at your will is pretty interesting. It's also very interesting with this one that you can adjust either side independently. So if you wanted to oh. curve the left side and leave the right side flat, you can do that. Um I don't know why you'd want to, but you I can. only want my left peripheral to see what's going on. Yes. <laughs> um, maybe perhaps if you since it's an ultra wide monitor, if you want to have like you want to curve part of the display towards you, so you can be looking at it head on. And then the other side might have like a Twitch stream going so you can kind of set up a curvature in like quadrants almost. I don't know. I think it almost comes down more to just not necessarily like a beneficial function, but more so just a practicality, the amount of additional mechanics they'd have to include in the back of that so that they came together in unison versus freeform, I think would add a lot more to the bulkiness of it. It could be. 
I don't, I'm, I'm guessing they probably didn't really see a benefit to it. It just made more sense practically. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, my other quick hit for fun new gadgets. Uh, and did you see LG's air purifier? <laughs> so, yes. And I have to tell you this story. Okay. I saw, I just, I grabbed the picture um, off of uh, a website that you and I frequent a lot. I just grabbed the picture of it, showed it to my wife, and I said, hey, what do you think this is? She goes, it looks like a table. And I said, you are one fourth right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll let you explain what it does. I mean, it's it's an air purifier that is also like a end table, kind of like a coffee table kind of thing. It also has a wireless charging pad built in, which I love. Uh, I think more tables should have wireless charging pads built in. Uh, for yes. example, uh, my partner and I, we just got a lamp. It's like a tiered lamp that you can have, you know, it's got little shelves on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but built into the, one of the shelves is a Bluetooth speaker and a wireless charging pad. Oh, nice. uh, and also like two USB ports. It's mm-hmm. excellent and more furniture should have charging stuff in it. Yes. Uh, and it's also a mood light. So it's got uh, a light that runs around the, the like in a circle around it and add some mood lighting under your table. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's been any announcement of pricing. It's uh, very silly and colorful and fun and I love it and I want one pretty bad. It feels like Ikea furniture. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's also uh, like it's they're very bright. So uh, if you like go and search for this, they have like a bright red, a bright yellow and then like kind of a gray. It's very mm-hmm. almost like pop art. Yes, like, like vibes, I guess. Uh, but no, I think it's hilarious and I want it. Um, I think and, and I want to go back a little bit to where you talked about wanting to have all these features built into furniture. I half agree with you. What I would want, though, is um, I want my furniture to be like Apple Watch charging stands. I don't want the cords and everything built in. I want them set up in a way that you can run your own cord. And I want that only because I don't want it to be a situation where, oh, I have this 10-year-old furniture and the cord no longer works in it. I want to be able to have it kind of like seamlessly ran through a line that's carved into the back of it or something like that. That's fair. Uh, And, you know, it actually kind of brings me into an interesting tangent that I've been thinking a lot about recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, As things are moving very rapidly towards USB-C, I've noticed that like certain gadgets and things that provide power uh, that run USB-A are becoming increasingly hard to find. So, for example, my vehicle, I drive a 20... Wow, 21 <laughs> last year, uh, mm-hmm. 2021 uh, Volkswagen ID4. And uh, it's got a lot of USB ports. It's got four USB-C ports just like readily available within uh, my like my right arm's reach uh, to be able to plug stuff in. There are no USB-A ports at all. Uh, and oh. I realized this when I was uh, driving home yesterday, my uh, Apple Watch had died, and I went to plug in my Apple Watch to charge it because I have a spare cable in my backpack because I just keep that kind of stuff around. And it's a USB-A to Apple Watch charger, mm-hmm. and I couldn't plug it in anywhere. Uh, and I searched my three uh, like portable battery packs, and they two of them are wireless charging only, and the other one does not have a USB-A output because it's got all the other dongles built in. Uh, oh, so, wow. I had no way to charge my Apple Watch. I'm going to drive home, uh, which fine, whatever. I just charged it when I got home. But still, mm-hmm. I thought that was a that was a, an odd, uh, weird backwards like tech causing problems. Yeah, 
I I actually have the opposite problem where most of my cables are Type C to Type C or Type C to Lightning, and I cannot find them, and I, I can't use them with the things I have to plug it into, uh, mainly my car. Um, but I ran into that problem uh, on my trip this last weekend um, when when we went out to to Denver. I had um, I had to be sure to pack one Type C to USB A cable just so that I could use Android Auto in our rental car. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, I picked a shitty cord and it kept cutting in and out and it was a terrible experience. And I had no cord to replace it with because every other rest of my cords are all Type C. Um, so yeah, complete opposite um, on, on my end. But it, I mean, it is frustrating um, to see that. I think it's funny that the, the cords seem to adopt quicker than the... Um, quicker than like cars and such did to have the ports themselves. But adversely too, like in your experience, the legacy cords are lasting better, which is good for the environment, of course, that they're lasting longer. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, also causes issues like you ran into. Uh, that, that's all I've got this week for the the funky gadgets. I just thought those two were, were very fun and interesting. Uh, you have some kind of also a, a funky new gadget Talk to me about Sony's new controller. Yeah, so Sony's announced the new DualSense Edge wireless controller. Um, it's basically, well, I don't know. I, a lot of different publications are comparing it to the Xbox Elite. I I think it's going to be priced like the Xbox Elite, but I don't think it's going to compare to the Xbox Elite. Um, the thumbstick heights are adjustable on it so i guess that is kind of where the xbox elite comes in i believe they're adjustable on the uh, xbox elite as well but where i don't see the comparison is that with the xbox elite you have the option to have four back paddles or two um and kind of move those around a little bit whereas with the um new uh dual sense edge wireless controller which is a mouthful um, you only have two back buttons, one for each finger or one for each side of the controller. Um, now they've already said though, that they are going to be programmable to remap for whatever button you like on the controller. Um, and you can also have separate profiles too, which I like a lot about that as well. I'm interested to see if that's going to be, um, more hardware side for those profiles, or if that's going to be baked into the interface itself on the PlayStation. And I say that, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I say that because I have the Sony Pulse headset mm-hmm. and it just feels like a really big miss on their part that I have a physical mute button on my headset that I actually have to push in to mute my headset when I literally have a mute button baked uh, like in my controller. Why would you not have that mute software side? It just makes no sense to me. It makes more sense if I'm already using a DualSense controller and I bought Sony branded headset yeah. that was for the PlayStation 5 to have a software mute button instead and just let me press the mute button on my controller. But they don't jive because it's a hardware mute button on the headset. Interesting. I did not yeah. know that was a thing. I actually, uh, I just for the first time, like messed with mute on my PlayStation controller last week. I had mm-hmm. my had earbuds plugged in and, and it worked a great thing because they were wired in. Uh, but yeah, I didn't even think about that with the uh, wireless. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would think that it would have to be baked into the. Hmm. I wonder if they'll let you do like profiles 
in the like PlayStation system itself for the controller that you could like swap based on the game. Well, you can uh, already do profiles in the on PlayStation Five. Oh, like for controller layout? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then I um, imagine that'll just be that. So I don't know if they're like just kind of cheating and basically claiming that that's the same thing. I, I my hope is that it's actually programmed in the controller itself, and I say that only because I know. Um, there's like, what's it called? D DSX for windows, I think, which lets you use a dual shot controller for a uh, PC. Mm. And so, um, I would like to think the pro if the profiles hardware side, then those will carry over on it. If you decide to also game on a PC with a dual sense controller. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that, uh, I'm most excited about for this is, uh, being able to have since the, you know, dual sense controller has their, uh, adaptive triggers mm-hmm. having the, uh, like the trigger locks built in so you can adjust yes. like the draw distance. Yeah. Uh, I do like that a lot. Um, yeah, that's a feature I have. Um, I have a, I play with a Astro uh, C40, I think is the one it was. It's a, it's a PS4 um, Sony branded or not Sony branded, but PS4 um, Sony certified controller. Um, I think it's the C40 if I remember right. It's T40TR, I think. Um, and you can shorten the throw on the, um, on the triggers for that. And it's very beneficial. I, that's like, it's funny, I joke that that's my Apex Legends controller. Like, that's the only mm-hmm. um, game I use the controller for. Everything else I use my DualSense for. Uh, but it's only because I like having the higher thumbstick, too. The the thing that I will f- I find more interesting, potentially, with this DualSense Edge uh, is because the, the DualSense has those, like, tension like adjusters built into mm-hmm. it. Um, if that will translate to the, like, varying degrees of, like, uh, locks. So let's say if you drop it to like a medium draw distance for the triggers, if you'll also mm-hmm. still get the tension benefits that like the software enables in certain games, just at a shorter uh, pull. Just at a shorter throw there. Yeah, I don't. That's interesting to think about. I don't. I don't know when you have that short of a throw though. Are you really going to notice any kind of difference? Because I mean, it's it's near at least with my Astro. It's it's not quite click level um, triggers, but it's pretty dang close. Um, yeah, so I, I, I like because so I have an Xbox Elite controller, the second mm-hmm. gen, and it also has the you know adjustable draws, mm-hmm. and you can make it so it's in between like a short and then a very long, like it's three mm-hmm. stage. And the the pictures here make it look like it's going to have three stages as well. So I wonder if they'll be able to in that middle tier still have some of those those benefits. Oh, I do see that now. Yeah, okay, definitely, definitely, because it has little like line indicators that you can clearly yeah. go in the middle of the throw instead of full throw and short throw. The thing to me that will be a uh, key differentiator is the comfort of it, because this is going to be, I imagine, controversial, but I think the Dual Sense is the most comfortable controller that I've ever used. Uh, and that includes all of the various Xbox controllers. That includes the Switch Pro controller. That includes like yeah, anything. I love the feel of the DualSense, mm-hmm. and I love the customability of the Xbox Elite controller. But I f- find it very heavy. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually even I have taken off the back paddles just because they're just add a little bit extra weight and it's a little bit um, like awkward yeah, there. Well, and they're they're metal to be more durable. Yeah. So yeah, it makes sense that it would add a lot more weight. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited about this. I hope that it's good. I will probably end up buying one. Oh. Actually, there's a question for you, Ben. How many uh, DualSense controllers do you have for your PS5? Uh, I only have two, and the only reason I have two 
Um, I've actually never played a two-player game with anybody on my play, on my PS5, but after two months of playing, actually after one month of playing God of War on my PS5, I broke the left analog stick click. Um, oh. And it was only like two or three months into having my PS5. I was furious. Um, so I went out and bought another one, and I haven't had any issues with it since. But I had, already, I had also gotten three quarters of the way through God of War, so I didn't have to keep clicking as massive as often as I was before. Um, sure. That's the only reason I have two DualSense controllers. And then, as I mentioned, I still have my Astro that I plug in for um, for Apex. But the frustrating thing about that, too, is um, I cannot upgrade Apex Legends to the PS5 edition on my PS5 because then my PS4 control, my Astro will not be supported because it's a PS4 Sony certified controller. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Well, then I, I really hope the DualSense Edge... Uh, answers all your prayers so you can I hope have so a too. ps5 enhanced version of apex yes i hope so too uh but the reason i ask is i only have my one dual sense and mm-hmm. i've wanted many times to get one of the cool colors oh I, uh, th- some of those colors are so sick yeah I, I want them really bad i just can't justify it because like yeah. i don't play multiplayer games like in person on it it's a a for me kind of console. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they're so damn expensive too. They're what? 70 or 80 70, dollars. Yeah, like 75, that. Yeah, so, I think for the colored ones. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, okay, you got to squeeze the extra $5 out of us for different colorways. Like that's just dumb. Oh, yeah. And it, it's, yeah, I, I, yeah, like I said, I only bought that second one out of necessity. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I believe you've got some gears we want to shift over to with Twitter stations. What's that about? Uh, Twitter stations is it's new. Like you're familiar with spaces, right? Yes. I've actually been getting a lot of notifications about spaces lately and it's been pretty annoying. Yeah. Then the, for some reason, even if you have all of your notification settings turned off, uh, it still comes through every time. Um, but the Twitter is uh, changing up, not, I guess, changing up. Uh, it's adjusting spaces. So spaces will now include is what it's already done, like with its like live audio stuff. But mm-hmm. also they're going to have podcasts. Um, surprise, so, surprise. Yeah. So you'll be able to have an R, you can feed an RSS feed into it. It'll, uh, the interesting thing with it, though, that I, I kind of like, I guess, is it, I guess, more designed around curation. Um, so it functions more like a, a radio station where you pick a topic and then it'll uh, give you a mix of clips from spaces and also podcast episodes in that genre. So it's not you're not going out and saying, I want to listen to the Waveform podcast by MKBHD. It's you're saying, I want to listen to tech. And then it's going to throw podcasts at you and then the more you listen if you listen to the entirety of an episode kind of like what tiktok does with its algorithm Mm -hmm. like generation it will start recommending you different kinds of podcasts and spaces Hmm. okay yeah i'm i'm not sure i I don't have an opinion about that yet i need to see it fleshed (laughs) out first to know what i think of it yeah that's fair uh i I am kind of looking forward to it only because uh, for selfish reasons for this podcast, mm-hmm. if it gives us the opportunity to have it in front of more people. Cool. Great. Uh, it's hard to get into podcasting uh, and find an audience. There's not a great curation system like there is with like video content of through TikTok and Instagram reels and stuff. I can put out an Instagram reel and have 8,000 people look at it, uh, having no other followers on our 
text-based account. And yet I can put out a a dozen podcast episodes that are two hours long Mm -hmm. and we can have four people listen to it. Because like, how else are you going to find it unless you manually market it yourself? I just, uh, I, what I don't understand with the Twitter thing though, is what makes TikTok work so well though, too, is it's short form. So it's easy to, it's easy to build that algorithm after like 30 minutes because you've watched a hundred videos. Right. Whereas with podcasts, those are considerably the longer form. So how does that curation and discoverability work when like, if I, if I sit down to listen, or if I'm, if I'm trying, if I say, I want to listen to something tech related, it's going to give me, I'm curious if it's going to give me a short preview or, um, uh, excerpt from a specific episode of someone's podcast. And then I'm like, Oh, that actually, they they sound pretty good. I like what they're talking about. Then I have to go find them. Um, or if it's going to start playing a whole episode, well then I've used up that whole window of when I want, what I wanted to listen to something. Mm. So now I don't have the chance to discover something else during that one hour window or whatever. I think where this is really going to be beneficial for the end user is for people who like listen to talk radio currently. The people who listen to the uh, AM sports to be able to hear their, mm-hmm. uh, you know, NFL news for the fantasy yeah, or football series season. XM or what have you. Yeah. yeah. Being able to say, oh, I want to listen to fantasy football content, give it to me and just mm-hmm. have a bevy of different people doing, you know, 30 minute long episodes daily talking about who got injured and stuff. Right. I think that is very beneficial. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, from what it looks like, it looks like it's going gonna, it's gonna to be whole episodes. But what I would like to see is being able to put excerpts. Right. Uh, kind of like with, uh, if you do, you can set up a routine with your Google Assistant uh, to like start your day. Mm-hmm. And it'll like, you can have it set to give you excerpts of NPR yeah. uh, to start your morning. And I think that's cool. I don't personally use it, but I think that would be a, a better use case to have it say, OK, here's a chunk from this, like five minutes from this podcast, if you like the content. And then it would be the uh, creator's decision to like chunk that out to say, I want this to be my excerpt that it gets put in front of people uh, each week. And you would go and take a clip out kind of like almost an ad read, but for your content. Yeah, I think if they want to do stations right, I think it needs to, I think they need to treat stations to full length podcasts like YouTube treats shorts to full length YouTube videos. Yes. Sure. I I don't know. You you use that short form, um, that short form to kind of draw them into the longer video. Now, obviously YouTube shorts are typically independent from, um, but usually people try to get it to get, get the short itself out there to gain that audience and pull them into Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that will would be cool. It's currently just in like testing phase, so we don't know uh, if it's coming. Um, but yeah, I'm very intrigued by it. Yeah, I, I like I said, I'll, I'll have a better opinion once we see it fleshed out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shifting gears back to gaming, uh, I wanted to talk about Sonic Frontiers. Um, this kind of snuck under the radar on me. I don't know if this was already kind of talked about before or not, um, by publications or anything, or if it, I think maybe it was at a gaming conference at some point. Um, but basically, I mean, yeah, give me, give me, uh, Zelda's Breath of the Wild with Sonic and I'm all for it. Like I, I really enjoyed the, um, oh shoot. What was that Sega Genesis Sonic game? 
that uh, it was like the first like a 3D platformer for Sonic. So that was uh, that was on the Dreamcast, and that would have been Sonic Adventure. Sonic Adventure was the first. Uh, what's 3D the Chaos Sonic one? Game. There was a Chaos one. That's the one I played most of. With the Chaos Emeralds, was that Sonic Adventure? There's a lot of them with Chaos Emeralds. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I don't play a lot of Sonic, but I enjoy the ones I do play. So there um, was the one that is regarded as uh, generally the best 3D Sonic game is Sonic Colors. Uh, nope. There's also Sonic Generations, which is pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the Sonic Adventure games that okay. kind of were kickstarted the 3D. The majority of them are bad. Uh <laughs> Well, I was I was like objectively maybe 10 when I played it. <laughs> <laughs> the majority of Sonic 3D games are not good. Yes, I don't and, know how well it aged, but it was fun when I played it at 10. <laughs> and there's a, there's a reason for that. And it, so I, I want to hear why you are excited about this game. The more that the developers have come out and talked about it, the more it is less Breath of the Wild, but Sonic and more. Uh, oh, what's a good analog? Uh, more Demon Souls, but Sonic, I guess. Where okay. it's it's Flesh small environment, but it's still kind of linear. There are levels. It's, okay. They're calling it's the, it's not an open world. It's an open zone. It's their words, not mine. Uh, so you have the Green Hill Zone, and it is right. a level that is small and open world, and then it moves on to another level that is smaller and open world. Well, that's disappointing. Um, and the reason why 3D Sonic games are bad, almost exclusively, is because 3D Sonic games are uh, like the the thing with Sonic that is good is the speed. Like that is that is what makes Sonic unique from any mm-hmm. other platformer is how fast and frenetic the movement is. And when you are doing 3D platforming, you run into instances where you're moving too fast to be able to judge distance in a three-dimensional space. I can judge a distance in a 2D platformer pretty well because I know how fast I'm moving and I only have two directions to go for. When I have to jump and land on a platform in a three-dimensional environment, if I'm moving too quickly, you're way more likely to miss, and platformers in general are unforgiving. Uh, So they're hard to do. I don't know why people keep trying because the last good Sonic game was, uh, um, I enjoyed Sonic heroes. On GameCube. uh, The, the one that was like the re the redo kind of like the Stardew Valley of Sonic games, Sonic mania, Sonic mania was very, very good. Yeah. It was basically just, yeah, it was basically just not really remastered, but it was just a A reimagining of of 2d Sonic. Yeah. Yeah, um, which I, I believe I actually purchased to talk about and we discussed on a uh, previous podcast that we had uh, had uh, booted at one point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's that old. So what was that? Uh, I believe that I had actually purchased that and played it on my Switch specifically to talk about for a previous podcast. Oh, yes, that you and I were yes, on. yes, yes. Yes, because I do have it on Switch. It is a lot of fun. It is. I will give you that too. Yeah, I just I thought, it was, man, that's really disappointing to hear. Then I hadn't heard that yet, so I, I was pretty excited. Now you have tempered my expectations, and I appreciate that because I did not want to purchase it expecting Breath of the Wild, and it is not that. Yeah, um, the graphics though did look really good. Um, so I'm interested to see. I, man, that's just too bad because I really, 
um, I really wanted to see like, um, was it Ratchet and Clank? That was one of the like big headline games that showcased the PS5's fast SSD yes. speeds. Mm-hmm. I really wanted, I, I feel like they have, Sonic has that potential um, to be that type of game where you're like, you're transported between all these worlds and it's like immediate that you load into it and you can jump right back to the other world and immediately be back in that one too. Mm-hmm. So it's disappointing to hear that that's not going to be the case with this. I hope it's good. I hope they do some interesting things with it. I know that the develop the development team is very uh, please give it a chance. <laughs> <laughs> As they've been describing it, they've been they've been very uh, adamant because the the first like um, there was a demo that was out at one of the game conferences, and the people that played it were less than enthused, um, and they're like, Damn. "It was a small piece. It's just a small piece." Mm-hmm. The whole thing is going to be good. We we worked really hard on it, uh, so I will I will give it a try. I do like Sonic games too, and if they can nail like the 3D environment, like the couple of good 3D Sonic games have done, yeah, it'll be great. I think now hearing that, I think Sonic makes sense to be the type of game that would have a lot more discoverability and, and people giving it a chance if it were included in. Uh, PlayStation Plus's new structure or mm-hmm. Xbox Game Pass and that type of thing. Um, Which almost certainly it will at some point. Uh, being a Sega title and like things like uh, uh, isn't like Yakuza series. Yes, all the Yakuza Sega... series is on the PlayStation Plus premium And it's tier, also on Game Pass and isn't that a Sega title? Uh, I believe so. That sounds right. Um, yes it is a yeah. Sega published title uh, so yeah I, I, I would be surprised if it doesn't end up coming at some point mm-hmm. yeah well and that like that and um, I, I think you can liken it then to, to the uh, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy um, and that's now in, in the PlayStation Plus um, subscription as well too yeah, um, also, so yeah I, could, I could see that uh, being there not well received <laughs> right well yeah i know i know but that's why i mentioned that uh, is is it's it's a game that a lot of people were hyped for coming out because of nostalgia mm-hmm. um and i think that sonic's going to be kind of the same situation and you'll have uh, a flurry of nostalgic people purchasing it at full price and it's going to do a mediocre uh launch success and then uh, a couple months later or maybe six months later or even a year down the road they'll announce oh it's coming to playstation plus and xbox game pass and and then i think a lot more people will give it a try and they'll play it for five minutes and realize hey this isn't what i expected and turn it off <laughs> so that actually brings up a uh almost a would you rather because we could okay. play that game a little bit uh-huh. but not really just more of a discussion con like concept of with games and the new streaming structure of and not streaming but like the uh the um services of like game pass and geforce now and all these like hey pay a subscription fee and you get access to all these games mm-hmm. with the way that we determine success for a franchise being sales of games uh, kind of like how the TV industry has moved away from kind of, you know, uh, the Nielsen rating and, and all mm-hmm. that stuff into more like how many people watched it, how many hours of the they watched the show kind of thing that Netflix does. Yeah. Uh, with games that are like being released simultaneously day one and also on like Game Pass and PlayStation Plus. 
what do you think is the correct moniker of success? How, how do we start judging games for their financial viability to, you know, fund sequels? So if I remember right, and I, I think Netflix was transparent about this, that they count a watch show as like if someone watches the first five to 10 minutes, I think, or something like that, mm. then they count it as a view. I think that you need a similar, um, I think you need a similar type of gauge with games. Um, so I don't know if that's like 30 minutes into the game. It's, it gets tricky. I think, boy, I mean, we could really get into the weeds with this, but I think that you could do um, 30 minutes for like a blockbuster game. That's an expected play time of, we'll say six hours plus or, or no, we'll say 10 hours plus. Um, but if it's like a, an indie game, then maybe it's on a, a lower scale of, I don't know, 10 minutes or something like that. Um, if it's only expected play time of three to six hours or something like that. Um, well, I think, I think genre impacts that a lot too. Cause like we move, we're moving into more of like, I guess the run based game mm-hmm. games that are like a repetitive play through multiple times. We've seen a ton of them in the last couple of years, like the roguelike style of games. Yeah. Um, I think of like Hades and then cult of the land that we I talked about a little bit last week. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of these neon white. I think I talked about uh, mm-hmm. a yep. handful of episodes ago. Um, these are games that uh, you play through a run in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. But the, that game is infinitely replayable uh and also like the cost value how much money is microsoft giving to the publishers and the developers for that amount of time played mm-hmm. so if if i'm you know sega and i'm publishing this new sonic game and it goes uh, date and release on game pass 10 people buy it but a hundred thousand people play it well where am i getting my money yeah. Obviously, a lot of people wanted to play it, and if they all played it for five hours, great. Mm-hmm. But again, no one bought it. Everyone played it. So where again, where's the money come from? How do we fund a sequel? How do we know that people want to play another one? Well, when when Microsoft approaches a studio and says, "Hey, we want this game on Game Pass," do they give them a lump sum of cash or do they, is it like licensed in a way that they pay them based off of the play time? That is a very good question. I do yeah. not know. Yeah. I would, I would think that it's based off of, well, quote unquote viewership, the, the play time. Um, I don't, well, cause we already, we already have this problem in another industry in uh, the music industry with Spotify. Cause Artists are always up in arms about not getting paid their dues mm-hmm. from how much money Spotify brings in versus how much they kick back to the artists and the record labels and what have you. Mm-hmm. I'm just very curious on the economics of all this. Obviously, it's very lucrative to Microsoft and then, of course, Sony, because Sony wants the subscription revenue. That's why they've like jumped into themselves. Mm-hmm. I think it's great for indie developers that can publish a game and get it in front of a lot of people, low cost, low risk, but for AAA games for big studios, or even like the, what was traditionally a B game. Mm -hmm. um, 
I heard in a, another podcast, someone referred to like destroy all humans being like the quintessential B game. And I thought that was very funny and accurate. Yeah, uh, definitely. But there, there's a lot of games like, like Stray is effectively a B game. Yeah. And it is almost universally beloved. Yeah. I would be interested to know how much money. Uh, is it Annapurna Interactive? Whatever the team did. uh Stray, how much money mm-hmm. they got from all the people who subscribed to PlayStation Plus to play that game. Yeah, I think I think there's a reason that I, I'm going to lean towards is probably a lump sum of cash that Microsoft and Sony are giving these studios. And I say that because you look at the types of games that um, or you look at the time of when the games come to like, we'll look, we'll look at Game Pass, for instance, here. Um, Microsoft's own studio games go on there immediately, most of the time. Um, Halo, Halo excluded, of course. Um, but wait, was it Halo Infinite that wasn't on there right away? No, Halo was on there right away. On which one am I thinking? It doesn't matter. Um, but anyways, you look at, yeah, so Microsoft Studios, they're, they're immediately putting their games in the Game Pass, but most like AAA titles are not on there immediately. They're they're allowing themselves. It's almost like uh, almost like the movie theater to streaming deal where they they have that launch window of say forty five days or whatever, and then they go to Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that tells me like they understand like we're going to get a lot of money from um, from our original purchase titles uh, or people directly purchasing from us, and then we're willing to take a lump sum of cash from Microsoft once sales start to decline a little bit. Um, because they want to obviously have that on their platform so that other people will start picking up and playing it and building out their library with Game Pass. And then with indie developers, they're kind of backed into, I'd like to think it's equitable for indie developers, but they're kind of backed into a corner. Like they understand we're not going to have as much attention when the game comes out as a AAA title would. So that's why they're willing to at launch immediately be on Xbox Game Pass and take Mm -hmm. that lump sum of cash up front. This is something I want to research heavily into because I find this fascinating and Mm -hmm. I don't hear a lot of discussion on the impacts to the gaming industry outside of the like the storefronts outside of Sony and Microsoft and Valve. And you hear it from their perspective and then you also hear it from the small team's perspective. It's that the middle that I want to find out about. Mm-hmm. I want to know where money and just to um, make sure I throw this out there. Uh, one, uh, that poll for Annapurna uh, Interactive. Very good. I was absolutely 100 percent correct. That was the name. They are the publisher, though. <laughs> okay. uh, Blue 12 Studio is the developer. I just wanted to make sure I gave the developers their credit because Stray is incredible. So and, is, it, uh, is it the pu- I wonder if it's the publishers or the studio then that determines the deal with the streaming service? Almost the certainly streaming publishers. Service. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I want I will follow up on this. I want to talk about this a little bit next week. I will try to do my research and find out what the revenue split is because that's what I imagine it is. It's like the YouTube uh, monetization strategy. It's like the Spotify like pay per click that kind of structure versus a lump sum. But I could be absolutely wrong, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about it because I again find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's your homework for the week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to big stories. But before we do that, I want to quickly mention we have our YouTube channel that we are about to have just a, 
a smattering of content about to, <laughs> to drop on it. Uh, I did receive my uh, Z Flip 4 in the mail today. Uh, I'm expecting my Fold and my watch and my buds soon. Uh, I have some interesting ideas on how I'm going to do videos and stuff on it. I want to do some uh, in the life like as it happens content with mm-hmm. the review process uh, through shorts and through TikToks and what have you. I'm also planning on doing as much as I can uh, like with the, the buds in particular. I want to record all of the audio from the buds for the review. Oh, okay. That's my plan. Uh, I think that'll be interesting to do the mic test for it. But yeah, uh, yeah it's going to be it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, I am at answer J. Uh, ben is at Ben real fun. We have our website, techspace.com that we will post updates. There's a feed to the podcast on there that updates every single time we upload a new episode. Uh, we have a Patreon that we will be supported by our wonderful patrons and down the road to help us grow and get more stuff and more devices and be able to do bigger things. And and yeah, that is our those are our plugs for the week. Big stories. Uh, big, big I've stories. got a story about the wireless industry, as we uh, talk about often. Mm hmm. So it was announced, I believe, today. I think today there was a. In a like a whole. I thought I saw yeah. it yesterday. Was it today? Was it yesterday? Either way, mm-hmm. um, T-Mobile and SpaceX are teaming up potentially to effectively get rid of dead zones for the wireless providers by using SpaceX uh, uh, their Starlink satellites to be able to fill in the gaps where normally you would need a bunch of towers for. Mm-hmm. It'll be slow, uh, but it'll function. Uh, and then also... Uh, it means that uh, SpaceX, a.k.a. Starlink, will finally be uh, offering its wireless service that they have been talking about since the advent of Starlink. Mm-hmm. So not only will it be their satellite internet, it'll also be a wireless service uh, that'll bounce off of both T-Mobile and Starlink's uh, satellite coverage. So so this isn't... This isn't uh... So this is T-Mobile filling their dead spots, or this is Starlink having dead spots filled com- as it compares to T-Mobile and then bouncing off of T-Mobile's network otherwise? Both. Okay. In my understanding of it, so T-Mobile is, said it's getting rid of mobile dead zones thanks to partnership with SpaceX Starlink. Mm-hmm. And Elon tweeted, Starlink V2 launching next year will uh, transmit direct to mobile phones, eliminating dead zones worldwide. So are we to assume this is like an MVNO Starlink off of T-Mobile? I think so. Uh, I think so. I'm not 100% sure on it. My guess is it is going to be more on the lines of like, kind of like what Dish is doing, where it has its own service and then it backfalls onto AT&T. Okay. But uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not 100% sure on, I guess, their long-term vision of it. 
It's going to launch in beta next year. Uh, it's currently going to be just for text and calls. Uh, speeds aren't going to be sufficient enough for data, but uh, the CEO of T-Mobile, Mike Sievert, said that he does hope that it'll include data someday. Okay. Uh, yeah, so effectively, it's it's going to be, I think, its own like service, almost, that'll be able to be widespread text and data or sorry text and calling through internet through spacex and t-mobile combined so that doesn't quite make sense to me though because starlink as it stands now is a wireless is is wi-fi for your home in remote areas and this the expected speeds for that are enough to do data obviously because it's wi-fi mm-hmm. so why is that not offering data with t-mobile my assumption is it's the i guess allocation of those resources mm-hmm. the satellites that they're using aren't that they're going to use for this from my understanding is going to be uh like a different spectrum of sorts mm-hmm Uh, One that'll be, I guess, maybe more wide coverage. So that way, when you're moving, you'll still be able to have access to it. Because that's the problem like with being able to be mobile with Starlink is it has to be in a fixed point because it has to follow the satellites as it goes through space. Whereas this needs to be a blanket coverage over everywhere that your devices need to be able to pull from constantly. I think that's where the difference is. So, okay. Could this be a precursor announcement to um, uh, an iPhone rumor that iPhones are going to include satellite backup for calling and texting? Possibly. Uh, So Sievert said, uh, he was asked kind of the question, uh, but that uh, data messaging services will have to work with T-Mobile and Starlink to be able to get their satellite, the satellites to recognize the services. Because at the moment it's just doing messaging and calls, right? I just I'm so I'm one. I guess I'm just trying to understand in those dead zones. Then will Starlink have like a, I guess tower of sorts or receiver on the ground that's taking that signal and then transmitting it out, or is the expectation that the satellites in air are pushing that signal directly to the phones? I that would be my a guess capability. Well, and T-Mobile said that like all of its current devices will work okay yeah no special equipment required uh current phones will be able to utilize the network okay okay interesting yeah i think this is going to be a i don't like why it's the big story is i mean bringing service to areas that don't have it yeah i I, uh am potentially moving to a place that has a lot of dead spots uh, with every service provider. Mm -hmm. Um, So being able to have that kind of backfall on something while slow would allow me to make a phone call if I needed it or send a text message. Great. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So calling in tech, I mean, obviously that's still because most carriers these days still do calling and texting over data. So it must just be a, a lot smaller bandwidth then. Yeah, um, it's uh, two to four megabits per second is like the... Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
and, and that's like that is the the total connection over the course of an, the t- entire coverage area of that satellite is like two to four megabits like oh. divvied up across all devices right. on that in that field okay that's still not going to be a great call experience then but like it's, it's probably going to sound robotic to be honest but at least you'll be able to get text messages through just fine yep yeah okay okay yeah, it's certainly a step in the right direction. Um, I'm I'm interested to see how other how the other carriers um, try to compete with that too. Because I mean, well, Verizon already announced last year that they were partnering with Amazon to do like the, their Kuiper mm-hmm. satellite internet. Uh, but I mean, they have to get satellites in the air. <laughs> so right, right, yeah. Whereas T-Mobile is kind of jumped right up to Starlink and said, hey, you already got satellites. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, def- definitely a step in the right direction. Um, as you said, it, it'll it be, I think, it'll, it'll obviously be, it, it's good to have um, at least phone calls and texting uh, in those areas. I think the biggest gap, though, that we still have is rural broadband connection. Um, and so being able to get that type of data service to other um to other rural people as well um i think is equally if not more important um i well i don't want to say more important because obviously phone calls and texting is and especially in the case of emergency you need to be able to make those too but uh, for everything else i mean we're, we're we live in a digital world now it's like you have to have that internet regardless of where you live yeah yeah and I mean, like you said, this this could be the first step in that direction. The, the, yeah. the problem with satellite internet is, in order to have it fast enough, the satellites have to be close to the to the Earth. And once they're close to the Earth, their like cone of coverage becomes smaller. So you have, right. to have more satellites, and then mm-hmm. you have just more obstructions in the exactly in space. more space pollution. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And there's with all these these companies too. I had heard an interview that uh, NASA was worried about being able to perform launches. Right. Yeah. Because like if there's enough satellites out there, they might hit one. They need uh, they need air traffic control just for low orbit. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Uh, that that's what I had for this week. I like you said. I think it's a, a step in the right direction. It'll be very interesting to see where it goes, uh, and I hope it goes in a positive and widespread direction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll go ahead and head over to the movie side of news here. Um, so it's no secret. We've talked about them for a couple episodes now with the whole Discovery <laughs> Warner Brothers partnership deal yeah. going on. Um, the Discovery uh, CEO boy has, has not been coy whatsoever in his plans on rebooting the DC universe. Um he, just as everybody else did when they first started coming out with the big DC movies, feels that there's a lot of potential to have a Marvel plan laid out on the DC side, too, with interconnected stories and whatnot. And I originally brought this story uh, to the podcast because I had read a report about how much weight um, the new CEO is putting on Matt Reeves. Um, who obviously did the the latest Batman movie uh, with Robert mm-hmm. Pattinson, um, among other other incredible works like the um, uh, like the the Planet of the Apes. Um, if I remember, he did the first two at least. Um, 
and uh, among among other other good works. And so he's they're they're full they're all in on Reeves. And I initially brought the story of the podcast because I interpreted that as they plan on Reeves being their um, head honcho of developing this interconnected universe for DC. Um, come to find out, uh, because more news came out today, uh, I was wrong. Um, they have, they're definitely all in on Matt Reeves, whatever pro they've already said, whatever project he wants to do, they will throw any and all money at it, uh, which I find funny cause they were all about cutting costs for everything else. <laughs> but, um, the latest rumors is that they're going to be bringing in Dan Lin, um, for, uh, heading the whole DC interconnected universe, not just among movies, but also among television too. So kind of the approach now that Disney and Marvel is taking with Disney plus shows and Marvel MCU movies. Um, they haven't. So I guess sources are saying that Lynn hasn't been given the offer itself yet, but he seems to be the only person in the mix so far for, um, for heading up this division. Um, so Dan Lin was originally an executive. Um, I couldn't find with what company, but he's kind of shifted over to a producer now. Some of the more recent ones that he's done was he did the live action Aladdin. Um, he also did the Lego movie. Um, a, another one that he did too was um, uh, he did produce the, uh, let's see, produced the Justice League movie um, for George Miller uh, that directed it. Um, and he was also included in uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr., um, as well as doing both. He produced both It movies, too. Um, so he's been, I mean, wide, wide scope of both darker movies with like the It movie uh, or the It movies, but also really fun humor with... Um, with the Lego movie too. And so seeing that kind of wide spectrum, I guess, of storytelling uh, kind of gives me a lot of hope for where DC could maybe go. Yeah. Uh, I also saw some of this stuff pop up. I, I'm hopeful it would be good to have consistently good content coming from DC. Uh, I, I don't know. This is kind of, to me, their first big uh, like announcement for future content under this new Discovery mm -hmm. Warner like umbrella. Um, so I don't have a whole lot to think about it other than we'll see. Because, I mean, uh, obviously Marvel's got uh, What's-His-Face in charge of everything. Kevin um, Feige. Yes, Mr. Feige. Yes. Uh, and that has worked out for them for the most part. Obviously, they're. I guess the the fatigue is starting to hit in. Yes, uh, I I think uh, a lot of people have, I guess, forgot about Thor: Love and Thunder, <laughs> that it just kind of <laughs> came and disappeared. Yep. Uh, but I don't. I don't know. I don't. I, I honestly kind of liked the direction that DC was going in uh, with their independent self-contained 
not doing a big sprawling universe and just saying, hey, here's going to be some something new for you and it's going to be interesting and we hope you like it. Um, I think I, I want a healthy mix. I don't need full full on MCU, but give me at least give me um, give me independent stories for each movie franchise. So like Aquaman's got his franchise. Give me his own. He can have his own self-contained story there but at least have actors or characters in his movie that have, that maybe possibly have their own movies that do reflect those consequences between movies. Now I don't need a full overarching, overarching story where Aquaman is in a movie. Like I don't need justice league. I don't need to see all of those characters together for a big United story. And then they um, go off and do their own things. And then they come together again for a big overarching story. And we see that story told throughout each one. But I like the idea of at least having those characters consequences reflected in the other movies. Um, But most importantly for me, I like the idea of the fact that they have him looking at both TV and movie. Um, there's nothing I would have loved more than seeing the actor that played Barry Allen in the flash on W on, um, I was going to call it CW. CW. Um, there's nothing I wanted more than to see him playing the flash in the movies as well. Cause I thought he was a great Barry Allen. I thought he was oh, great. Boy, I think, uh, I think, uh, Warner brothers would have liked to see that too. Yeah. 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 Especially as, as of the last couple of years <laughs> with everything going on. Um, yes. I think that, uh, yeah, I think that he would have been a great choice. And again, you, you get that whole tie in and like, uh, Stephen Amrill, Armill, um, whatever his last Mel. name is, um, I, him too, playing, playing, uh, playing arrow, I, the, the great arrow. I think that that would have also been also been great to see him in some movies and having some cam, even just cameos or whatnot, acknowledging that he is that character throughout the whole overarching universe. Um, he doesn't even have to be included in a story. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at. I don't need a full-fledged um, overarching story between all of these different movies, but at least acknowledging these other characters are also in it uh, in the same universe. I think that's really all they need. They don't have to have this 10-year plan for a penultimate movie at the very end like Marvel did starting in 2008 with Iron Man and finishing in was it 2018, 2019 um, with uh, Infinity War and Endgame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like I said, I'm I am hopeful for it. I want it to be successful. Uh, but at the end of the day. I want to see something unique. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to see them try to do what someone else has already done, even though it has been successful. Like, give me something different. They've been pretty good, uh, like Warner Brothers in general, and making some pretty good, unique stuff as of late. And uh yeah, I'd like to see them continue on that on that path, but yeah, I I think I think where DC can can thrive and, and set themselves apart from MCU, in, in my opinion, is storytelling. I think that there is some great stories to be told. I mean, the, the animated movies for DC uh, have all pretty much been been great stories, and I think that if we can get that kind of translated into live action as well, um, I think that. I mean, DC, in my opinion, has always kind of been positioned as a little bit grittier than MCU, um, at, at least from what we see on, on movies and, and television so far. And I think that they can definitely uh, take advantage of that 
um, without having the whole um, because they don't they don't have Disney looking down on them from or over their shoulder saying, ah, that's that's a little bit too PG-13 for us. Um, Mm. And so I think having that flexibility and freedom can have a little bit more real life situations uh, that people may run into and experience and seeing that reflected on screen. And I think that that would be more um, I think that would lead to a lot of success for DC. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, again, hope it does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but moving on to recommendations. Yes. Ben, what are yes. you recommending us this week? Uh, I have, I'm going to take a page from your book. I have two recommendations. Ooh. Uh, one is uh, Lock and Key on Netflix. Okay. So uh, I watched, the, the first season came out like, gosh, like two, three years ago, something like that. I watched most of that season and then like you and I both do, we get distracted by other games, whatever other, other content um, to, to uh, consume. And so I just kind of fell out of it. And then season three recently came out like within the last month or two and it popped up in my feed again. I was like, Oh, I didn't even realize they did a second season. So I've actually been getting into that uh, really hard lately. And it's, it's basically uh, this, this family has, uh, history that you're kind of learning throughout the series. Um, but what they do know is after their, uh, after their father's passed, they moved into his childhood home and the kids start discovering these magical keys. And each key offers you a different kind of super ability. So like one is like super strength when they put it into this, um, like weightlifters belt. Um, another is called the anywhere key. And so you put it into any door that, uh, any door with a keyhole. And when you turn the key, you picture where you're wanting to go. You picture the door of where you're wanting to go and you open up the door after putting the key in and it takes you and transports you to that place instead. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just, it's really cool watching them discover these different keys. There's a lot of story into it as far as, um, uh, the, uh, antagonist that's trying to get the keys for, for themselves and, and trying to figure out what exactly they're, uh, goal is to do with these keys once they actually get the keys necessary to do whatever they're trying to do. Um, and it's, a, it's just a really good story. Um, in fact, uh, you may actually recognize the lead actress in it. She is, I don't know if you saw Coda on Apple TV plus, um, widely critically acclaimed movie though. Um, she actually plays the lead actress in Coda. Um, she oh, okay. is the child of deaf adults. Um, so, which is what Coda stands for, if you didn't realize that. So, um, so yeah, so she's she's very very good actress, um, and uh, yeah, cannot say enough about. It. She plays the um, she's actually the main character, and then she's got an older brother and little brother in the series too. But yeah, definitely definitely worth checking out. Um, my second recommendation, uh, Jetpack Joyride Two oh. on Apple Arcade. It is a lot of fun. Um, it's, I mean, <laughs> we mentioned earlier the kind of, uh, run game style. Um, and that's hundred uh, percent what it is. You have a, a short level, you try to get, um, as far as you can with, with each. Now I played the original one and I, it's been a long time since I played the original one, but, um, with, with Jetpack Joyride 2, you have, uh, it, it goes in levels there for you. And so you're trying to get to basically that distance and each level is a little bit longer distance as well. And it just introduces different baddies with each with each one too, and it's just a lot of fun going through and, I mean, sitting down for I don't know twenty minutes, whatever, at a time, and just sitting down and 
slowly upgrading and powering up my different abilities and stuff like that. It's just it's it's just a fun time waster. And I mean, it was included with my Apple Arcade subscription anyway, so I thought I'd check it out because obviously the first one was really good and really popular. So that's been a lot of fun too. So yeah, anybody with Apple Arcade, absolutely cannot recommend enough. Nice. It has been a while since I've had a strong uh, Apple Arcade recommendation. Yes. And I still happen to subscribe to it, so I will definitely check that out. Awesome. Yeah, um, definitely worth it. My recommendation of the week, uh, very similar to last week, kind of a small project. Not a lot of whole people, not a lot of people have heard of it. Um, I started watching Game of Thrones. Oh, gosh. <laughs> OK, uh, so I watched the first episode of House of the Dragon. Uh huh. Um, very good. Which, may, you know, obviously makes a lot of sense having not seen Game of Thrones. Yes. Uh, but I watched the first episode uh, and with my partner mm-hmm. and we I enjoyed it a lot. It was interesting. I was, I know enough about Game of Thrones just through like cultural osmosis to have an idea of what mm-hmm. was happening. Uh, but I wanted to know more. It got me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we are through the first season and half of season two. Wow. Uh, and yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. Can- I understand why people uh, like it as much as they do. And, uh, third time was the charm i finally was able to power through the first season and get on congratulations on getting through the first season because that is definitely like the first episode or two are pretty good and kind of draw you in and then it's just a slow drill through the rest of the season Uh, i I actually felt the opposite oh really i felt the first two episodes were kind of hard to get through okay uh, because they were just they had so much to throw at you as far as Mm -hmm. all these characters and i think that's where my this time around because the show is done. I know enough about what's going on in the overarching plot. Yeah. That like, I know who like the Targaryens are. And right. I know At this who, point, season one was basically a prequel for you since you already knew. Yeah. Basically like, the characters. Yeah. I knew the uh, spoiler. I knew Ned Stark was going to die at some point. Mm-hmm. So like that was, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I knew that the dragons were going to come out of the, the eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, having that those bits and pieces of going okay i know these tent pole things are are going to happen now i'm interested in like being able to i guess get lost in the world i suppose Mm -hmm. uh and yeah that's what that's what's done it for me this time um yeah i'm i'm excited to watch more i can't watch more because we're watching it uh with my partner so i won't be able to watch anymore until saturday yeah uh but yeah, I'm looking forward to to getting through it because it is quite good. And also, yeah, House of the Dragon was pretty good. Yes, I I, I completely spaced on that. I also watched that. Uh, I watched it uh, Monday, and yeah, I I loved it. It was it was great. It's actually when I checked on Tuesday, it was actually um, rated nine point one stars uh, on the as of the first episode. Of course, we'll see if that rating goes down any after a couple episodes because uh, Game of Thrones two was also rated quite high until the last season. So. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, did- I wanted to throw in just a quick little, uh, hype moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but a few days ago, Netflix officially announced the title and release date for, uh, glass onion, AKA knives out Two, uh, coming in December. Okay. Big excite. Yes. Uh, I loved knives out. Yes. And yeah, I'm excited for a sequel. And we're getting one soon. I think I've watched it three or four times. I didn't realize it was coming up that quick. December. Yeah. To mark my calendar. Um, This is literally like this is the Netflix movie. This is the one that 
like if it is good, it'll be the first like real Netflix movie, <laughs> if you will, that, you know, is a Netflix original that is not top tier content if it is good. Mm-hmm. It's like there have been some OK Netflix movies. Yeah, the gray man was OK. Sure. I didn't watch it because I, okay. I knew I wouldn't like it. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it was, it was actually, good. you know what? The only Netflix movie I've watched is Bird Box. So, oh, well, you can't. That's, OK, I, I purposely avoided Bird Box because I just I, I heard that it was just like it was really hyped up uh, because it was Sandra Bullock and it just was not a great movie. <laughs> it's it was fine. It was the most fine. Like, yes, not a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also, I, I think that is that has been the peak of Netflix movies is fine. Yeah. I'm trying to remember other Netflix movies. Um, there was the one with Chris Hemsworth, the, the spider island, spider head. Yeah. I, oh, I've been meaning to watch that. Same. I also heard it was fine. Uh, hmm. Yeah, man, I'm, yeah, I'm looking through the list and there movies. isn't really any that I'm like, Oh wow, this is, Oh no, you know what? Hustle was really good. Hustle was actually very good. I definitely recommend Hustle. Okay. Uh, Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I do remember hearing about that one. Did you see... Um, no, I didn't. What was it I want to, though. No, no. Did you uh, see uh, Uncut Gems? That's what I was talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, I want to. It, it's yeah. on my list. To, uh, yes. It's very I knew exactly much another, what you were talking about when yes, you asked if I had yeah, seen it. Without me even saying the title. Yeah, it's very yeah. much... So Hustle is is the same Adam Sandler as an uncut gems in the sense that he's just, he's, he's gotten very good about diversifying his portfolio. In my opinion, he's, he doesn't have to be all comedy. He can be a drama actor too. And he does a very good job of it. Um, which now we're kind of going on a tangent. I, before I forget, I have to mention with house of the dragon, I did not realize that we are supposed to have a time jump very, very soon in house of the dragon. Uh, I didn't, realize it like as far as the context of the show or hearing anything i was just doing my thing that i do when i watch every new piece of content and go where's that actor from yeah and pull it up on the internet movie database mm-hmm. uh, or imdb if you will and uh yeah and saw that there were um the actors playing young whatever their names are uh Rhaenerys and, and yes um th- other one yeah uh, there was uh like adult Mm-hmm. people with the same names and yeah. so I was like oh okay so we're gonna have a time skip yep i so actually what got me to watch that I, I was i watched all of game of thrones and i actually really enjoyed it uh, even the last season which i know is very controversial but um i love matt smith he is who pulled me into house of the dragon um i love seeing him as a villain uh because he was great at, <sighs> he was great in morbius <laughs> so <laughs> So I had I loved him as a villain in Morbius. So I had to see if he was going to be that kind of character in this again, too. And he delivered. So that was that was incredible. Um, Getting back on my tangent, though, about um, about comedic actors or comedians going into serious roles. uh, Steve Carell has a very interesting movie coming up here soon. Um, I need to look up the title of that yet, but it is a psychological thriller. With Steve Carell, which I did not see coming. Um, he basically yeah. plays uh, uh, his psychiatrist. And 
and uh, he is taken hostage by one of his patients. And it looks very good. I don't know if you've seen the previews for it or not, but it, it looks very, very good. I'm very interested because uh, any kind of those psychological thrillers um, I really enjoy, or really any kind of situation where you see uh, a comedic actor um, show their drama chops as well. Um, I think of like one hour photo comes to mind with Robin Williams um, and that kind of psychological, creepy thriller type thing. Like, it, yeah, very, very excited. Um, the patient. I am so I'm sorry. It's not a movie. Hesitant. It's a TV series. Okay. Yep. I'm hesitant with Steve Carell because he left the office and then he decided he was never going to bring jo- anyone joy ever again in any of his roles. Uh, <laughs> That's not true. Space the- Force is, is a gem. No, I, I, my comment still uh, <laughs> stands true. Uh, no, Space Force is a gem. I, it's hilarious. I love it. It's great. I say, uh, Steve Carell, what, since The Office, what has he done? The Morning Show? Yep, n- no joy. Um, That's true. Uh, I mean, he still grew. Welcome to Marwin. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, he's still in, he still grew. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just noticed you snuck that that little line in there. Mhm. And grew yeah, great. Nope. Yeah. He left hey, the office okay. and Okay, though. Crazy stupid love. That was after the office. And that was great. Was it? No. T- 2011. No, 2011. Yeah. He was when did the office? End? I guess that, that was the year he left the office. Yeah, you can't you can't count that as post. <laughs> that was that was during. Okay, fine. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, Anchorman two, no joy. Um, <laughs> I've never seen an Anchorman movie, and I'm okay with that. What? Yeah, the first one's worth a watch. Uh, I don't know, but I think that is a great place for us to wrap it yes. this week. Uh, thank you very much for listening. If you made it through this one, you are a, a champ. Um, You're a trooper. I <laughs> uh, wanted to just get, once again, go get a quick plug, follow us on stuff, uh, rate and review us on iTunes and in your podcast, share the show with someone you think would might enjoy the stuff we talk about. Uh, and yeah, that's what we got this week. I have been Jake and I'm Ben toodles. See ya. Thank you.